You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook, and there you'll be able to find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group and share your own thoughts and insights into today's readings with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 240, and we are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 13, Paragraphs 521 to 528. 521. Thus, St. Peter, the head of the church, by this loving exhortation, had been taught and enlightened that his arms for the establishment and defense of the church were to be spiritual, and that the law of the gospel does not inculcate battles and conquests with material weapons, but conquests of humility, patience, meekness, and perfect charity, which overcome the demon, the world, and the flesh, that divine virtue would triumph over its enemies and over the power and intrigues of this world, that arms for attack and defense were not for the followers of Christ our Savior, but for the princes of the earth to safeguard their earthly possessions, while the sword of the church was to be spiritual, reaching rather the soul than the body. Then Christ our Lord, turning toward his enemies and the servants of the Jews, spoke to them with great majesty and grandeur. You are come, as it were, to a robber with swords and clubs to apprehend me. I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you laid not hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. All the words of our Savior contain the profoundest mysteries, and it is impossible to comprehend them all or explain them, especially those which he spoke at his passion and death. 522. Well might those ministers have been softened and made ashamed of their wickedness by the reprehension of the divine master. But they were far from it, because they were of the accursed and sterile earth, drained of the dew of virtue and human kindness. Nevertheless, the author of life wished to admonish them of the truth to that extent. Thereby, their malice would be so much the more inexcusable. And this sin and all the others committed in the very presence of the highest holiness and justice would have its due correction, and they themselves a powerful help for conversion, if they should desire it. Moreover, it would thereby become evident that he knew all that was to happen, 
that he delivered himself into their hands and over to this death of his own free will. For these and for many other sublime reasons, the Lord spoke the above words, penetrating their inmost mind. For he knew and fully understand the cause of their malice, hatred, and envy, namely because he had publicly reprehended the vices of the priests and Pharisees, because he had taught the truth and the way of life to the people, because he had by his example and his miracles captured the goodwill of the humble and the pious and brought many sinners to his friendship and grace. He reminded them that one who had power to bring about all these results in public and who could not be apprehended in the temple or in the city in which he taught could certainly not be captured in the open field without his consent. He clearly made them sensible that the reason of their failing to do so before was because he himself had not given his permission to men or demons until the hour chosen by himself. In order to signify to them that the hour of his being captured, ill-treated, and afflicted had come, he said, This is your hour and the power of darkness. As if he had said to them, Until now it was necessary for me to be with you as your master for your instruction. Therefore I did not permit you to take my life, but I desire to consummate by my death the work of the redemption consigned to me by my eternal Father. And therefore I now permit you to take me prisoner and to execute your will upon my person. Thereupon they fell upon the most meek lamb, like fierce tigers, binding him securely with ropes and chains, in order thus to lead him to the house of the high priest, as I shall presently relate. 5.23 The most pure mother of Christ our Lord was most attentive to all that passed in his capture, and by means of his clear visions saw it more clearly than if she had been present in person. For by means of her supernatural visions, she penetrated into all the mysteries of his words and actions. When she beheld the band of soldiers and servants issuing from the house of the high priest, the prudent lady foresaw the irreverence and insults with which they would treat their Creator and Redeemer. And in order to do what was within her power, she invited the holy angels and many others in union with her to render adoration and praise to the Lord of creation as an offset to the injuries and affronts he would sustain at the hands of those ministers of darkness. The same request she made to the holy women who were praying with her. She told them that her most holy son had now given permission to his enemies to take him prisoner and ill-treat him, and that they were about to make use of this permission in a most impious and cruel manner. Assisted by the holy angels and the pious women, the faithful queen engaged in interior and exterior acts of devoted faith and love confessing, adoring, praising, and magnifying the infinite deity and the most holy humanity of her Creator and Lord. The holy women imitated her in the genuflections and prostrations, and the angelic princes responded to the canticles, with which she magnified, celebrated, and glorified the divinity and humanity of Christ. In the measure in which the children of malice increased their irreverence and injuries, she sought to compensate them by her praise and veneration. Thus, she continued to placate the divine justice, lest it should be roused against his persecutors and destroy them, for only Most Holy Mary was capable of staying the punishment of such great offenses. 5.24 And the great lady not only placated the just judge, but even obtained favors and blessings from the divine clemency for the very persons who irritated him 
and thus secured a return of good for those who are heaping wrongs upon Christ the Lord for his doctrine and benefits. This mercy attained its highest point in the disloyal and obstinate Judas, for the tender mother, seeing him deliver Jesus by the kiss of a feigned friendship, and is considering how shortly before his mouth had contained the sacramental body of the Lord, with whose sacred countenance so soon after those same foul lips were permitted to come in contact, was transfixed with sorrow and entranced by charity. She asked the Lord to grant new graces, whereby this man, who had enjoyed the privilege of touching the face whereupon angels desire to look, might, if he chose to use them, save himself from perdition. In response to this prayer of the Most Holy Mary, her son and Lord granted Judas powerful graces, in the very consummation of his treacherous delivery. If the unfortunate man had given heed and had commenced to respond to them, the mother of mercy would have obtained for him many others, and at last also pardoned for his sin. She has done so with many other great sinners, who were willing to give that glory to her, and thus obtain eternal glory for themselves. But Judas failed to realize this, and thus lost all chance of salvation, as I shall relate in the next chapter. 525. Likewise, when the great lady saw all the servants and the soldiers who had come to take him fall to the ground at his divine word, she, in company with the angels, broke out in a song of praise of his infinite power and of the virtue of his humanity, which thereby renewed the victory of the Most High over Pharaoh and his troops in the Red Sea. Exodus 15.4 She exalted the Lord of hosts because he was about to deliver himself in an admirable manner to suffering and death in order to save the human race from the captivity of Lucifer. Then she besought the Lord to permit all these dumbfounded and vanquished enemies to regain their senses and to arise. She was moved to the petition by her most generous kindness and deep compassion for these men, created by the Lord according to his own image and likeness. On the other hand, she wanted to fulfill in an eminent degree the law of loving our enemies, and doing good to those who persecute us, inculcated and practiced by her own son and master, Matthew 5.44. And finally, because she knew that the prophecies of Holy Scripture were to be fulfilled in the redemption of man, although all these were infallible, this did not hinder the Most Holy Mary from giving voice to her prayer, and thereby moving the Most High to grant these favors. For in the infinite wisdom, and in the decrees of His eternal will, all these means were foreseen, as producing these effects in the manner most conformable to the foreknowledge and foresight of the Lord. But it is not necessary to enter into the further explanation of such mysteries at present. When the servant of the high priest laid hands on and bound the Savior, the Most Blessed Mother felt on her own hands the pains caused by the ropes and chains, as if she herself was being bound and fettered. In the same manner she felt in her body the blows and torments further inflicted upon the Lord, for I have already said this favor was granted to his mother, as we shall see in the course of the Passion. Thus her sensible participation in his sufferings was some kind of relief of the pain which she would have suffered in her loving soul at the thought of not being with him in his torments. Instruction which the Queen of Heaven Most Holy Mary gave me. 5.26 My daughter, in all that thou art made to understand and write concerning these mysteries, Thou drawest upon thyself and upon mortals a severe judgment if thou dost not overcome thy pusillanimity, ingratitude, and baseness by meditating day and night on the passion and death of Jesus crucified. 
This is the great science of the saints, so little heeded by the worldly. It is the bread of life and the spiritual food of the little ones, which gives wisdom to them, and want of which starves the lovers of this proud world. Wisdom 15.3 In this science I wish thee to be studious and wise, for with it thou canst buy thyself all good things. Wisdom 7.11 My son and Lord taught us this science when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh to the Father except through me. John 14.6 Tell me then, my daughter, if my Lord and Master has made himself the life and the way for men through his passion and death, it is not evident that in order to go that way and live up to this truth, they must follow Christ crucified, afflicted, scourged, and affronted. Consider the ignorance of men who wish to come to the Father without following Christ, since they expect to reign with God without suffering or imitating his passion, yea, without even a thought of accepting any part of his suffering and death, or of thanking him for it. They want it to procure for them the pleasures of this life, as well as of eternal life, while Christ their Creator has suffered the most bitter pains and torments in order to enter heaven, and to show them by his example how they are to find the way of light." Eternal rest is incompatible with the shame of not having duly labored for its attainment. He is not a true son of his father who does not imitate him, nor he a good disciple who does not follow his master, nor he a good servant who does not accompany his Lord, nor do I count him a devoted child who does not suffer with me and my divine son. But our love for the eternal salvation of men obliges us who see them forgetful of this truth and so adverse to suffering, to send the labors and punishments, so that if they do not freely welcome them, they may at least be forced to undergo them, and so be enabled to enter upon the way of salvation. And yet even all this is insufficient, since their inclinations and their blind love of visible things detains them, and makes them hard and heavy of heart. They rob them of remembrance and affection toward these higher things, which might raise them above themselves and above created things. Hence it comes that men do not find joy in their tribulations, nor rest in their labors, nor consolation in their sorrows, nor any peace in adversities. For altogether different from the saints who glory in tribulation as the fulfillment of their most earnest desires, they desire none of it, and abhor all that is painful. In many of the faithful this ignorance goes still farther, for some of them expect to be distinguished by God's most intimate love, others to be pardoned without penance, others to be highly favored. Nothing of all this will they attain because they do not ask in the name of Christ the Lord, and because they do not wish to imitate him and follow him in his passion. 5.28 Therefore, my daughter, embrace the cross and do not admit any consolation outside of it in this mortal life. By contemplating and feeling within thyself the sacred passion, thou wilt attain the summon of perfection, and attain the love of a spouse. Bless and magnify my most holy Son for the love with which he delivered himself up for the salvation of mankind. Little do mortals heed this mystery, but I as an eyewitness assure thee next to ascending to the right hand of his eternal Father, nothing was so highly estimated and so earnestly desired by him as to offer himself for suffering and death, and to deliver himself up entirely to the enemies. I wish also that thou lament with great sorrow the fact that Judas in his malice and treachery has many more followers in Christ. 
Many are the infidels, many the bad Catholics, many the hypocrites, who under the name of Christian sell and deliver him, and wish to crucify him anew. Bewail all these evils which thou understandest, and knowest in order that thou mayest imitate and follow me in this manner. This concludes our reading today for day number 240. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 13, Paragraphs 521 to 528. The hour of Jesus' passion has arrived, and this is why Jesus allows himself to be handed over. Think about the scriptures. And in the many gospel accounts where Jesus evades the crowd, he passed through the midst of them, he vanished in a sense. After Jesus would work his miracles, he would go off and he would, in a sense, hide and people would still come and find him. But in this moment, there is no passing through the crowds. There's no escaping because Jesus, after praying to the Father, has now been enabled, has now ushered in this hour. He prayed, let this cup pass from me. The cup has not passed, and so now he willfully enters into this passion, suffering, and death. And how interesting that Mary senses all the different things of the passion, and how we're going to hear about that later on. Truly, she suffered with the Redeemer. And what an interesting thought, and I guess I never connected this. Judas, betraying Jesus by a kiss that he does so after the Last Supper, after having the Eucharist within him, that he defies God, even with such a blessing that he just received. Something for us to think about in our worthy reception of Holy Communion and what happens after Mass then. In the instruction given by Our Lady, she tells us to meditate on the Passion day and night. I think there are simple ways we can meditate on the Passion. Anytime you see a cross in your home, a crucifix, you should have them in your rooms. Well, look up to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus crucified, have mercy on me. We meditate on the Passion when we pray the Divine Mercy for the sake of a sorrowful Passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world as we think of that. Think of the Passion. Think of his being beaten and whipped and scourged. There are so many ways, through the way of the cross, through the mysteries of the rosary, the list goes on. Reading the scriptures, rereading as we'll have it here in the mystical city of God, these are ways that we meditate on the passion. And as we meditate on the passion, it affects our soul makes our soul sorrowful, makes us aware of what Jesus did for us, so that then, knowing of his passion and death and suffering, I'm going to choose to resist sin. I'm going to choose to be a better person. I'm going to follow the gospel more readily because of the passion of Jesus Christ. Therefore, my daughter, embrace the cross. Well, we embrace the cross through acts of self-denial, through sacrifices that we make. We are going to be walking with Jesus and his mother through the passion, through his death and resurrection. And through these reflections and readings, 
we will see what this passion means for you and me. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.